1: to another episode of Supernatural The Crossroads. I'm your host, Thomas Cowley, and joined with me through the magic of the internet today is Michael Flores. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we, we jerry-rigged this at the last minute, and it's working out fairly well, so knock on proverbial wood yeah. and see or, what happens there. Or real wood. You can always knock or on real wood. wood well. You could. You could knock on your if you had a boner, you yeah. could knock on that. Well, I'm. I'm Ryan's I, not here to say that, yeah. so I have to. Well, I
0: have a perma boner, so I, you can definitely just. Well, not you. <laughs> I'm just saying you, as in general, okay. and, and knock on wood all the time.
1: A perma boner. That's I have not heard that. Yeah, it's um a condition. It, it I was a
0: think. that was actually a monster of the week and in, in an episode that got cut from Supernatural. <laughs>
1: We found the script. Ryan's going to read about the perma boner monster during the June. show. Hey, don't don't mock. It's going to be a thing. Watch. <laughs> I don't know how or when or where, but it will. Give Ryan, a, uh, give him an afternoon. He'll just write the shittiest script and say, yep, there you go. And then he had a boner like, and that'll be the whole thing.
0: Listen, when Supernatural finally returns, that's going to be the name of the movie. Supernatural, the attack of the perma boner.
1: There we go. We're already shopping subtitles. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this episode here, guys, is a little bit different. Something new that we have not done previously, really. We've done underrated characters. We've done breakdowns of every showrunner's episodes, their best moments, some of their weakest moments. But we haven't done something specific to Monsters of the Week, at least not in quite some time so this new little mini series here that we're going to do is called underrated monsters of the week. So over the next year or so, we plan to sort through all of our favorite monsters of the week that we've personally felt were underrated forgotten, had far more content and possibilities than they were ever really given and how things about those stories were very interesting and could have led somewhere else. And I think that's one of the biggest distinctions and stipulations comparing a regular, generic monster of the week to something that's far more captivating is that a generic one will just kind of be a one and done. Whereas this list here is more intended to be ones that we feel could have sparked its own mini arc, its own series of events and creatures. It's whole had far more potential. Than the other ones. So to kick things off, we are talking about one of, I think our personal favorites and that is doc Benton, a grossly underrated, non-magical, mystical, supernatural monster of the week from season three. And this is a concept that was very, very interesting because the character is very stereotypically B-horror. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's something that like a Roger Corman film would have done years ago. Yeah. But it's also done with such like, sick twisted thought out logic throughout the whole thing and it fits very very well for where the characters are at this time especially dean and bella's parallel story this is the end of bella's story in this episode here
0: the writers of the earlier seasons uh, on supernatural they always pick the right monsters for the right story it was and guess it, who
1: wrote this one
0: of uh, sarah gamble of
1: course sarah gamble dude yeah and you see who time. directed it one of, our,
0: one of our favorite directors too so yeah, these, these teams are just fantastic and every, every time we go back and watch I'm just blown away again by just the skill set involved in every single episode but yeah Gamble obviously knowing a thing or two about the B film genre because not only mm-hmm. are you dealing with a very B film type of concept but I mean the guest spot Billy Drago is a B film icon I mean, he's one of my favorite. Under I have different categories for actors and things. You know, I, oh, I, I'm a I'm a guy of lists. I have lists and categories all the time. I put things <laughs> in categories the and
1: list. lists. Sounds very OCD. Your house looks like Charlie from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> and you just got a yarn yeah. attaching different lists together. Always.
0: Always got to put together those, those top 10 lists and <laughs> categories. But Billy Drago is on my list of top B film actors. He is fantastic. He's right up there with Bruce Campbell you know, Lance Hendrickson, Mm -hmm. they've all had their moment to bask in the glory of mainstream success, but they have always returned to the smaller B-films. In the end, even when they didn't need to, Billy Drago was a pretty um, famous B-film actor, and I use famous loosely, he definitely became more of a character caricature of himself as the years gone by or went by, but he had his moments, and to bring Billy Drago into a an episode of Supernatural. It, just, it blew my mind when it happened in the 2000s. And every time this episode comes up. My mind immediately drifts to Billy Drago. And I'm just amazed. At the fact that they were able to get him in the Supernatural. I mean the only thing at this point. That's left out. When you have an actor like Billy Drago. And the list of other big B film icons. and And you know 90s. TV show icons as well that they had that they had brought into the show but then the only thing they're missing is someone like Bruce Campbell I mean that's the that's the obvious next step especially with all of the Evil Dead references and inspirations
1: (laughs) I'm kind of surprised they didn't as time went on
0: how did you not how did you not reach out to someone like Campbell and maybe they did and for whatever reason he he passed on it which if we were talking about Bruce Campbell today, the guy doesn't pass on anything. So, <laughs> I mean, he might've been feeling that Spider-Man high. Cause I know the, yeah. the director of Spider-Man, uh, the original one, Toby Maguire, you know, he was um, the guy responsible for starting Bruce Campbell's career. And he always, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi. Yeah. And he always found spots for Bruce Campbell and he was putting him in Spider-Man for those little two bit roles. So maybe he was just like, fuck
1: it. Well, and that was right. That was 2002, four and seven. So yeah. he may not have wanted to jump right back into this kind of B campy stuff that he was trying to get out of, especially as Spider-Man was taking off as it was. So maybe it would have been it's too bad because that would have been one that I think you would have tried even years later in the later seasons to try and get him. But Billy Drago is a great choice. He's a B, as you said, a B film icon and he's got the perfect temperament and and creepy mannerisms to fit doc benson or uh perfectly so Benton. or Benton. Benton. benson benson Benton. was
0: a a black dude in yeah. a sitcom show back in the 80s remember benson
1: <laughs> <laughs> so with this one here uh time is on my side one of the last episodes of season Three, the one with the infamous writer strike cutting it short. But despite that still being one of the strongest seasons, I think the show's ever had this characters introduced at a time that really does parallel our characters incredibly well. And this is once again, a great example of how these side characters need to reinforce the character, the main characters plight, what they're going through, not just be guest appearances or not just be cool We haven't done this yet. We haven't. Hey, I saw paranormal activity. Let's do the bitten episode and right, (laughs) just call it a day, you know, because that's a whole other thing. But this here in this episode, the summary real quick, just to put everybody in perspective, as time runs out for Dean, Sam convinces him to head to Erie, Pennsylvania to investigate a possible zombie case. Instead, they discover Doc Benton, a real-life doctor who, in 1816, abandoned his medical practice to follow his obsession with finding the key to eternal life by drugging people and stealing their vital organs. Now that's macabre as hell as it is, and this is obviously Frankenstein-inspired. This is the first crux, little little seed. That would become the Stein story. I truly believe seven years later, there's no way you didn't compare notes with this story. You couldn't not. I mean, it was the only one that was all scientific based and, and as creepy as it was, and literally the same idea of stealing organs. Like you're going to check that and see what you can borrow from it. What doesn't work, what does. And, the thing is, you this character is a fascinating character, but at the same time, this episode is an incredibly important episode for season three's myth arc. And it's an incredibly memorable episode with such an underrated and not often referenced Monster of the Week at the same time. You would think that the two would go hand in hand. The death of Bella, a... Maybe not at the time, well received character, but has clearly grown with the fan base as time has moved on. A very dark season might be the darkest season I think that we had, especially oh, yeah. at the time. It's far darker than one and two. It makes one and two look like
0: and not just dark in the, the way fun. Of, and not just dark in the way of content, uh, meaning like characters like Doc Ben or murder and mayhem just. The themes are dark. Our characters yeah. aren't happy. We were used to a very, you know, fun
1: bunch. Uplifting. And-
0: Even though there were dark times and very sad moments in season yeah. one and two, season three was hitting that morbid medium where we weren't quite happy and we weren't quite morbid as fuck. <laughs> we, were, we were getting there. We were getting there was there. less
1: laughs. I would say it was the biggest difference like season the- one and two had a lot of humor that was built into the story and the major events were still very serious. This was one where even as Dean made jokes, even as the jokes land there, there's this air of sadness beneath all of them. I think the Christmas episode is a great example of that. Yeah. For and yeah. Sure. And it's it might be that the reason Doc Benton as a character has kind of slipped through the cracks and not remained on any top lists. I don't even know if our own lists that we've done over the years have have incorporated him. No, but part of that might be because the episode truthfully has very little to do with him. It's not centered around him. He's not the driving force behind it. He's literally just the He's- problem that week.
0: When it comes to plot, yeah, he's not even that relevant. It's all about the unsaid with a character like this.
1: Yeah, it's it's more about what he represents as a potential route for Dean. At this time Dean is at a crossroads. Right. Hence the show, the name here. <laughs> but he's dealing with in Impending death. I mean, at this time, canonically, it's like weeks or something like that or months. I don't even 100% remember. And of his year left alive. And Bella is one route. He sees himself potentially going down, trying to outrun it. Doc Benton is another route of trying to cheat death by doing something truly horrible, by sacrificing your humanity. And he doesn't want either of those things. But this whole character isn't it's not about him as a character, it's about him posing an ethical question.
0: Well, and that's why I feel like a character like this, as you had started your thought, that's why a character like this is possibly forgotten. Because when you bring him up and you remind people, in fact I this happened on the internet when I was talking to people about this discussion that I was planning, it's not that they didn't like it. It's like, oh fuck, yes, I remember that. Like that that was a really cool concept. And I feel like the reason why is because there is so much going on at this point. This is episode 15 of, of, a, of a season that was already shortened because of the strike at that time. So we're right. already coming to the end. There is literally so much in the way of subtext and narrative in this episode. Um, there's things pertaining to Bella and Dean as you were getting into and posing questions pertaining to you know morality and ethics. And because of that, the story really isn't about Doc Benton at all. He's just no, there he's, the... he's just there to assist, to, tie, to help tie everything together. And because of that, that's why he slips through the cracks and isn't really mm-hmm. remembered as the, one of the greatest Monster of the Weeks because this really isn't a Monster of the Week episode.
1: It really isn't. It's the second to last episode of the season. It's the end of Bella's character and wrapping that up. It's escalating the stakes once more to show the lack of choices that Dean has that, that hangs over this entire season is that time is running out. Like each week was a clock and you're right. It's, he is the third story in this episode. There's Sam and Dean's story. There's the Bella story. And then there's also the doc Benton story. So he's just this umbrella that encases everything, but isn't really that relevant
0: no he's just a device that helps Dean and Sam put things into perspective and as we said posing those ethical questions about cheating death because isn't that where, where we're at at this point we're dealing with yeah. the boys cheating death specifically Dean at this moment and and that's why you tie in the scenario of Bella and suddenly you're like okay I get what's what's going on here because how far are you willing to go in order to keep yourself alive. I mean, Benton also parallels Bella's own desperation to stay alive and what she's willing to do. I mean, she essentially tried to mm-hmm. murder Sam and Dean. Yeah, she does try. The only she reason full why, on tries. The only reason why she didn't is because they pulled one over on her. But in order to save herself from the hellhounds, she willingly was going to put a bullet in both Sam and Dean. That's no yeah. different than Benton. In fact... She probably got away easy when you think about it. I mean, Benton is buried alive <laughs> for all eternity, essentially.
1: Now, I, I can't 100% remember. He would eventually die when the organs fail, though. You can't. Right? No, that's the, that's the awful. Or is that the thing? That's was that the awful he live thing.
0: Forever? He could live forever. I mean, essentially, I mean, if his skull got crushed or something, maybe then he would die. But as long as you can replace body parts and nothing's there to disturb him, I would assume he would sit there eroding and rotting
1: slowly decay until yeah that would eventually do it but that's that's years years. yeah I would
0: imagine that once his organ started failing and everything started you know yeah but I wasn't quite sure how it worked it looks like he can die but then he comes back
1: they used chloroform to knock him out. oh is that what it was yeah because he put it
0: in his heart right he stabbed him with something into his heart uh, and then he seized up
1: yeah, he passes out from that. And and their own dad, you know, cut his heart out, according to the story. So he can survive serious trauma. But I would just assume, like, you know, 50 years or, or more, you know, eventually it'll happen. But still, that's a hellish existence. And you're right. Bella probably did get off easier by comparison. I'd probably rather
0: aspect. get torn up by hellhounds yeah.
1: and sent to hell. It'd be a quicker, at least. Yeah. The insanity that would set in while you're trapped under there. At least you're having, you know, someone's keeping you company.
0: They may be torturing you, but at least you're surrounded <laughs> by people in hell. To. In the fucking, you know, <laughs> ground in a refrigerator. You're just like, okay, now Madness. what the fuck? Dude, that actually, that's another aspect of horror that's just not utilized enough. The idea no. of burying someone alive is one of the most awfulest things. Like hmm. that deeply bothers my soul. When I as think it of should. it's right up there, there is one of the worst ways if someone were to say, hey, Mike, what's what's the worst way to die? It's either between being burned alive or being buried alive. Those two things for me are two of my biggest fears that just it truly really disturbs me whenever you watch something um, on TV or a movie that utilizes that type of element in a horror film.
1: Drowning would be another pretty bad one, too.
0: Yeah, dr- But yeah, but you know what? At least of drowning, you're surrounded by nature and the ocean. Yeah, I'm assuming you're drowning in the ocean. I mean, you can also being you can also be drowned by a piece of shit person in your toilet and water, and that would tool, suck.
1: Like you dove too deep, and the suction kept you down there. Yeah, that'd be awful. You, That's Darwinism,
0: you, though. I mean, if you, if you would die.
1: well, that'd be terrible. Uh, I, I swam okay. every day and died. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great horror elements to this episode, and it's that's the thing is that that's really amazing about it is that all this thought and time and world building of this character is put into something that's the third string of this episode. Yeah, isn't that now, crazy? That that's nuts. They don't. See, that's the things like they don't do that as much. No. later on. No, not at all. Now, one of the coolest things about this episode and much of the first decade or so of the show. Are the lore and tidbits of information that's sprinkled throughout the entire series, throughout the episodes, ever so carefully. Yeah. And this episode is a perfect example of that correctly done, proper world building without needing to waste a shitload of time. Or or without
0: useless, (laughs) hackish exposition, which usually is what happens when you're dealing with shows like this. When you're dealing with the world of Supernatural or you're dealing with those larger-than-life scenarios, many times they do require... An explanation. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of writers in certain writing rooms, they just assume, okay, well, this is a really uh, peculiar type of topic. We really need to make sure people understand it. But there's a, a beautiful, you know, there's, a, there's, something to be, there's something to be said about simplicity sometimes. And Absolutely. And in an episode like this, I feel like the more we know, the less it, the less it works.
1: Absolutely. I think this is a great, like, compare the mystery and in- intrigue of this to later things that the show would explain away with, you know, Death and Billy or the meta Letters Bunker or things like to that extent. Mm-hmm. This episode here is incredibly interesting because it doesn't give you much. the The concept is that He was mentioned in John's journal that there's talk of a surgeon who found a way to live forever by replacing organs the moment they stopped working. So he's harvesting body parts. So that's already horrifying and it gives you enough to know. But it doesn't delve deeper into that. And we'll get into this in a second. But and and Sam basically says, yeah, it's not magic, too. But that that alone is exceptionally different and interesting for this world. Meanwhile, you compare that to something like Men of Letters. And it's like, oh, here's a ritual. I need these parts. This is what happens. And this is what the result is. Although okay. I feel like,
0: I honestly feel like Elements and Carvers run an episode like this. That's the, the groundwork a bit. When you look at the Men of Letters, that pretty much deals in alchemy and, and magic. And also the Steins. Also, by the mm-hmm. way, steel body parts. So it makes you wonder how much of the Stein's effort is also aligned with what Benton does and vice versa. Like, I know the Steins used the Book of the Dam and they use magic as well, but we're not quite sure. I can't remember if Carver had established they use magic, if magic was actually a part of what the Steins do. I can't quite remember. I'm pretty sure it was. I know they because control... otherwise, Why
1: were they chasing Charlie so much for that?
0: Oh, right. I know they do magic and they're into that whole thing, but I'm not sure if the way they live on, their immortality has to do with magic. I don't know if they actually spelled that out. I feel like a lot of us just assumed because we're dealing with the world of Supernatural. Right. But I could be wrong. Either way, it's the reason why the Steins worked for me as well. It's that same, that same thing. You know, the idea of, you know, body horror and grotesque, Mm -hmm. you know, grotesque, illegal science experiments, which are awful, which we already crimes against nature crimes against nature. Yeah, like Dr. Moreau and, you know, the dog Mm -hmm. man and all types of weird fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this, yeah. which is interesting that we're talking about. First off, one episode, not even the focus of the episode. And also, pretty much all of Doc Benton's lore was established in probably two, maybe three 60 second scenes. And that's impressive. Maybe not even a full 60 seconds on some of them. I think that's fantastic that they were able to fully establish this concept in just a matter of seconds. And 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 it lives on. It becomes a part of our show, a part of the fandom, something we speculate about and discuss. That's how, you know, you're good at what you do is when these types of things stick.
1: Well, the other thing, too, to consider about that, like from a writing standpoint, this is one more reason why I think Sarah Gamble's probably the best writer they've ever had, because 60 seconds is one page, essentially, and if you've ever looked at a script, whether you're a fan of that kind of thing or you just want to casually glance at one for your you know, curiosity's sake, that's not a lot when it comes to dialogue. Dialogue is in the center, it takes up a lot of space, it, it the format you get a lot less spoken word for page length. To be able to do that in such a compelling way means that was incredibly limited. Dialogue and incredibly tight and focused on what needed to be said. Yeah. That's impressive as hell. Yeah. That's a brand new concept.
0: That's a mark of uh, and we should know. I mean, Sarah Gamble has grown to become one of the probably better writers in Hollywood currently when it comes to TV yeah. shows. I mean, this episode right here is is proof of that. Proof that, you know, she was already working on her skill set to becoming one of the greater writers in Hollywood because just Look at how clean this episode is. It's very, it doesn't, sure, there was probably some rewrites, but the fact that she was part of the leadership at this point, along with Crippy, of course, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're trimming these scripts and keeping them at the length, or I should say, tight as possible to get, or I should say, to maximize their screen time and those pages.
1: Well, and again, because this is the third storyline, of the episode, yeah, so you have to be very economic with what you're getting across, so that you can get the other two primary stories complete, yeah, in the forty two pages you have now, one of the cool ways that they did that we again is John Winchester's journal, which at this time was the perfect source of information, and it states that John thought he had stopped him, had already fought him, and we see this in in one of the comic books as well, I think it was the origins comic that he actually fights doc Benton and he thought he had defeated him and stopped him by cutting out his heart. But apparently that didn't do shit not for long. And so we find out from there that as long as he can replace his body parts, he could essentially go on living forever. And this is something that I think was directly ripped not ripped, you know, but used as a source of inspiration for Carver's run with the steins of multiple organs, more muscle mass to be stronger so that it wasn't just a one and done kind of thing. If he had only one heart, perhaps he had a second. We don't really know. And this is where the mystery of how that works comes into play, especially when we take into account that they full on state. Doc Benton figured all this out, this proverbial fountain of youth through actual science, not magic. It's not mysticism. In this, he's using alchemy at best, which, you know, pseudoscience perhaps, but not when it comes to this kind of world. And being a surgeon, and through just medical science, he cured death. One, that's creepy as fuck, and that's the whole story of Frankenstein, what he was trying to do. And what I loved about this was that Sam talks about the formula, but he doesn't go into it. And he just talks about, yeah, it's real science. This is no magic, no dark magic, nothing supernatural to this. See, and again, that wasn't the thing, used, but...
0: Well, that's the thing that's always dumb, that always has stuck with me the most. Out of, out of everything that's cool about this episode pertaining to Doc Benton, the part that it's actual science... Something about that really worked for me when Sam said, dude, this isn't magic. This isn't black magic. There's no you know, blood sacrifice. This mm-hmm. is legit. This is science. It made it actually more awful. It was more disturbing knowing that you are just, again, an abomination to nature. These types of things should exist. Magic, at least, you can argue, hey, it belongs. It's a part of the world. It's part of the universe, the unexplored, the unknown. But now we're dealing with the The atrocities of science experiments and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the stealing of body parts to create a monster of sorts. I mean, that to me is more horrifying than if it was magic. In fact, if it was just some dude, you know, taking people's body parts and he was using magic to stay alive, there would be no, there's nothing interesting about that at all.
1: So I, you know what I think that is though? I think that's because with magic, it's clean. Magic is a clean solution You just snap your fingers, you crush some things into a uh, mortar and pestle, say an incantation, and it works. Works as intended. There's no getting dirty with it. Whereas the science aspect, the real world, and the Frankenstein idea puts into the mind's eye, puts into our mentality, the disgusting aspect, the blood, the gore, the finding the body parts, the cutting, the whole thing. It's messy. It's it's intrusive it's violating it's all these messed up things sewing body parts back together it's it's not snap your fingers magic it's clean yeah this is dirty gross work and i think that that adds to the horror that adds to the reality of it because magic also has that that even in the world of supernatural it has that little bit of a separator where It's less real, but with this, there's no getting away from that. You know, that's something that we can all relate to on a deeper level, and I think that's what helps helps make this all the more fucked up, frankly. Yeah. And I also like that they didn't reveal the formula, the the scientific formula that he was using to solve this, because sometimes the unsaid is better.
0: And exactly. you have to know as a writer when you should tell someone something and when it should be omitted.
1: Well, and we didn't need the formula. We needed to know that it was science and that this is what he's doing to keep himself alive. But we don't need to know, you know, two ounces of sodium plus four liters of water. <laughs> you know, I don't need that. I don't need something that will put Ryan to sleep. A couple of cheeseburgers. Kind of Semen. A dash of honey, uh, a dash of semen. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
0: like how could that can never be a part of any magical spell? Like you need <laughs> the
1: breast milk that of a hot woman.
0: Like, oh shit, you figured this one out? All right, I'm not let me, sure let me call
1: up everyone we
0: know. We go to all the uh, newly uh, birthed childrens, and uh,
1: <laughs> I have to rob a nursery ward. <laughs> that's terrible.
0: It's always weird stuff. See, that's not weird to me. Like it's always like chicken that's bones, Wow, no, breast milk. That's a, that could be a thing. I could do that. Like
1: listen, <laughs> but Mike, finding the a Pope's the, the femur, of use
0: is you need to guzzle a gallon of hot chick breast
1: milk. I'd be
0: like, all right, bottoms up. Is this two percent <laughs> or slim?
1: Two percent. That's whole milk, dude. I'm gonna have that rich taste. Oh, that's right. <laughs> what am I talking about? You know what you're talking about.
0: I think you've had a little bit of the slurpy slurp of the uh, natural uh, mother's milk, mm, and I don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean when you were a child. I mean recently. <laughs> All right. So That's the disgusting. other thing about you're, that, you're so fucking gross. Why would you bring that up? You're
1: like Homelander. I know.
0: You just you love know, milk, breast milk. Uh,
1: uh. Oh God, the Homelander right. scenes. Enough now in of my your head. fetishes. Enough. Enough of them. Like, I'll try and control it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that whole fact that it's actual science is more disturbing than magic. And well also don't you think
0: don't you think if it was also not magic, it just wouldn't have the same effect. Because again, remembering the point of Doc Ben and what it and what it meant for both Bella and of course Dean, more importantly, if he was a dude or just a monster or he was using magic, it would not resonate. Yeah, because we needed to essentially look at Dean through a dingy lens and that's who we saw it was Doc Benton this is your option Dean is this really what you want to do do you want to cheat death do you want to become an abomination of nature well this is what happens this is what it means to sell your soul is this really what you want to do and they double down with the Bella scenario which makes it even that much more impactful and it only works with Benton being human and not using magic
1: I think you also, when it's not magic, when it's a true human trying to solve, because, I mean, historically, that, you could argue that's part of what religion is. It's trying to outrace our mortality, the belief that there's something else afterwards, that you, you needed to have a character that has that desperate vibe absolutely that the clock is ticking that he has to do this otherwise the reaper will find him and time is running out if you have magic again it makes it too clean and easy so this had to be dark and gritty done in an unethical horrifying immoral way it had to be desperate that it would push our characters to a place that like you said asks dean the question is this what you want to become he also he's couldn't be the alternative
0: and also he couldn't be just straight up evil because i wouldn't consider dark Benton straight up evil he's a bad person he's choosing to take others people other people's lives in order to prolong yeah. his but at the same time he also doesn't kill anyone unless he absolutely has to
1: so he doesn't do it for like the fun
0: of it no he does it out of necessity to survive and that again sells the idea what is dean willing to do Mm. to stay alive you know the desperation plays a major factor in that.
1: well and it also gives us a nice it's like the stages in a way bella is desperate dean bella and Doc benton are all desperate dean is desperate and time is running out and he's trying to find a good guy moral solution bella shows us that the consequences of that and how desperate he might get while still being with not a hundred percent, a monster. If he continues down that path, he'll become Bella. If he continues beyond that, he'll become doc Benton, which is not a a human anymore, not by our standards. And this is, it's like the stages of decay of how, even if you outrace this clock, the one year, you got the 10-year. And if you'd outrace the 10-year, you've got Doc Benton's lifetime. And, like, how long are you going to perpetuate this? And it only gets more and more bleak as time goes on. Yeah. And ultimately, it leads perfectly to how they dealt with Doc Benton. Doc Benton's death, quote, you know, solving his being buried alive, is very, very fucked up. It's very, very dark and, and morbid. But it's also a perfect metaphor for what he already without, you know, realizing it by being trapped in a refrigerator, you know, underground, he's already trapped by this, his own situation. He has to keep doing this. If he wants to survive that eternal living nightmare, that's a metaphor when he's out of it. It's what he's going into when they bury him alive. It's what Bella is heading towards. It's what Dean is heading towards. an, un- an unstoppable, impending, eternal torture. Whether it's in a fridge or in hell, this is coming for you because of the decisions you've made. And that's the sad thing is that the way he gets buried alive and then we immediately go to Bella and she gets killed by the hellhounds and the clock is literally strikes midnight. It all has this just overwhelming, and this is what we talk about when we say darker tone, this overwhelming sense of dread. Doc Benton was smarter than him and didn't get out of it. Bella was craftier and had beaten them every time throughout this season. She was smarter than them. And she didn't beat it. And he's got a week. That's that's a very morbid place as we go into the season finale. Without a doubt. And that's the thing. is like, I think that's one of the things that really stuck with me the most about season three was just, I love season five. I love the apocalypse. I love season four where it's building up to it. I love the impending countdown, but all of that felt more like it was building towards a bigger climactic battle. You know, the horsemen, Michael versus Lucifer, the angels, heaven and hell where the brothers trapped in between this, it was, it was more epic, but season three's racing clock. Or ticking clock, I should say. It's just sad. It's just dark and depressing, and very, very human.
0: Well, that's no why, real
1: good way out.
0: That's why that ending with him being buried alive, Doc Benton, was so uh, meaningful and powerful. Because you're right, it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor for a lot of things. Uh, the three of them are, you know, victims of the prisons they create for themselves. Their choices. I mean, even though yeah. Dean's a good guy, he he made the choices to be where he's at. Now, is he going to do what he he wants to do out of desperation? So there's there's a lot going on with these scenes as well uh, from an academic standpoint, from a cinematic standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's a very unsettling feeling when the camera pulls up and you see them looking down at what it was, Benton's grave site, essentially, where they're going to bury him, and just having that book on top of the refrigerator, and then that's it, how it ends. I mean, that's just, it's not a happy ending at all. It's very, it's it's very uh, intentional, uh, pretty much everything in this episode.
1: Not an ounce of it is wasted. It's very, very much on point with that. And, you know, when we look at, the, it makes you wonder obviously frankenstein was the inspiration on some of it but there's yeah also a little bit more like the whole visual metaphor too obviously the the and being trapped within the that but the journal itself has the Ouroboros, which we know later from later seasons is referenced it just for the fuck of it doesn't mean anything <laughs> but this here it's oh. it's that's the serpent eating its own tail like you're always going to be chasing this perpetual thing and it's destroying you yeah. at the same time. And it really does leave our heroes and our audience with a very moral question of what would you do? And there's no real good answer to this whole thing. And it 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 makes this has what it takes to be a top tier monster of the week episode from its sustainability, like how much you can do with this concept. The writers in this single episode are able to expand the world in a huge way because after this, you really do look at supernatural a little bit differently. Yeah. It's not just monsters and vampires and werewolves. It's going to be humans and it's going to be moral gray areas and it's going to be people who started out with the best of intentions. Dean starts with the best of intentions to save Sam and to stop yellow eyes and look at where it can lead to. And this is where it's really going to change how we look at other characters.
0: Well, yeah, well, this is this episode is, uh, you know, the reason why I picked this topic to start our Monster of the Week discussion is because this is a perfect example of how I'm going to pick my 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 top tier monster of the weeks and i'm going to pick it with the eye of sustainability and permanence like can you actually see additional stories spawning from a mere introduction and of course does it make you look at the world of supernatural differently and are you filled with questions of what ifs like what if you could do this or what if they do that and if you're left with those types of questions you know, an era of possibilities of endless possibilities, then that's, what's going to continually make our list of discussions for the monster of the week and dog bit and pretty much encompasses all those requirements or those uh, prerequisites.
1: Absolutely. And I, I do like that point, especially that it does make you ask what if, because if he figured this out, what other fucked up stories about humans can we tell what other science and, and, immoral things are out there lurking in the darkness. And it makes, like I said, the whole world kind of grows from this in a completely different way that we, we anticipated more monsters and more, more folklore and things to supernatural extent, but this more human, you know, Frankenstein, Edgar Allan Poe, Lovecraft, like, like anything could go then. Well, Jacqueline Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Like it made me ask, what if like what other stories are we gonna incorporate into this, so yeah, and, and that is I think the best way to move forward with this mini series well, isn't so. that
0: what we always say too? We always say, um, when it comes to supernatural, we've said this for years whenever there was rumors you know pertaining to when the show would end,
1: like why would
0: it end? Mm-hmm. That's what we always said, why would it end? yeah, the possibilities are endless and When people have said oh you still watch Supernatural yeah I gave up like six years ago it ran out of gas after season five I'm like what the fuck is wrong with you that is completely (laughs) inaccurate because once again the possibilities are literally endless I mean how many times have we talked about the finale uh, Thomas and mm. we're like, okay, they can yeah. do this. They can do this. They can bring back the show by doing this. Actually, they can do this. There are so many different ways you could make this show work, and it's only because of the episodes of Supernatural, like the Docment episode, that are responsible for laying down the groundwork so that we do have this robust world. And without these types of episodes, um, we wouldn't have all these possibilities. Because when you have episodes continually setting down groundwork you just get more possibilities on top of possibilities so I mean that's that's what makes supernatural work so well for me uh, pertaining to when it comes to the folklore and the aspects of the supernatural
1: now there is a little bit you you did some research some research. I did some, some research. Re- did some research. Y'all did some book learning and internet searching, <laughs> uh, and found some actual like inspiration for Doc Benton as a character.
0: There's literally real folklore behind Doc Benton. Yes, it was actual. It was actually a Doctor
1: Benton. Okay, so I'll I'll just read this here, which is creepy as it is. Thomas Benton, born in the early 1800s in a town near Hanover, the son of a prominent family, Tom was sent to the University of Heidelberg, Germany to attend medical school. Although although Tom excelled as a student, he felt like an outsider among other Germans and formed a close relationship with only one elderly professor. Oh. Although, although he was kindly, there was something strange about the professor. The other faculty members shunned him, and the students whispered about, quote, blasphemous experimentation. But he took Tom under his wing, and the two spent many nights discussing medicine, science, and theology. This sounds suddenly very homoerotic. It does, it does. Batman had a a young ward who lived with him. (laughs) When the old professor died, he left Tom some arcane books and a small locked chest, which Tom brought back to New Hampshire after graduation. Tom quickly became the most respected doctor in New Hampshire and could heal any patient who came to him. But in 1816, he learned the limits of his medical skills. His beautiful fiancée, the daughter of a wealthy landowner, yeah. came down with typhoid fever. Oh, Tom was unable to cure her, and she died in his arms. Shock was more than he could take. Tom abandoned his home and medical practice and retreated to a ramshackle cabin on Mount... Uh, Musuluki? Musuleki? I don't know how to say that. Musalaki? Musulaki. The only possessions he brought with him were the books and the small lock chest given to him by his mentor in Hiddeburg. Oh. You see, the old professor had been working on the secret of eternal life. Tom's fiance may have died, but Tom was determined to defeat death itself. That's crazy. Weird that, which is, you know, a story we've heard. Pet cemetery, that kind of thing. Yeah, Weird things began to occur around the mountains. Farm animals were found dead, their corpses unmarked, except for a single small wound behind their left ear. The body of a young man was stolen from the undertaker, who only dis- to be discovered on Mount Musaleki, with a small wound behind his ear. Although the locals pitied Tom for his broken heart, they didn't support livestock killing and grave robbing. A group of officials trekked up the mountain to confront him, but when they reached his cabin, it was empty. Tom had run off into the woods, driven mad by grief and by his experimentation. He had discovered the secret of eternal life, but at the cost of his sanity.
0: He couldn't live without that ass. <laughs> listen, I want to know: like, did Doc Benton ever like steal a dick? Like, listen, you have to replace the body parts no. as they decompose. So at some point, Doc Benton—he had to—he had to steal a penis. Uh, you'd, you'd unless, go for a bigger one unless right? he well yeah i'd be stalking black dudes all the time like okay that dude right there he's my he's my next who cares if the shade doesn't match as long as the the damage is
1: uh and have you seen his face he doesn't care if anything matches yeah i mean just <laughs> you could have one different dick colored from his balls like i got
0: a black man's dick oh you mean you have a big dick no i actually have a black man's
1: dick I actually physically have that's, he's on Tinder swiping. That's what his <laughs> <laughs> profile says. Hey girl, but send you a dick pic. Like
0: that's not your dick. That's a black guy's dick. Oh. Exactly. It's mine now. It's my it's my dick now. <laughs> it could be
1: yours. Oh man, <laughs> it could be yours. <laughs> Jesus. Right. You know that story, German folklore or not. I do like that it's, it has the story of him running out into the woods because that's how Pet Cemetery ends. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh. As well. So that is cool, but there's a lot of cool things about this episode, and I think that's the thing: is that it's once again an example of where they didn't just say, "Yeah, it's a vampire, whatever, fuck it," and change the canon. (laughs) They came up with something brand new, yeah, that fit the, the story, the characters, the side characters. Well,
0: they're they're not just using at this time. They're not, and I'm not saying Supernatural did this all the time in later years, but I'm saying you know oh. in the early seasons when there wasn't a whole lot of lore or i should say not nearly as much lore as the later years obviously um mm-hmm. the writers were very careful with the types of monsters they introduced because 90% of the time the monsters were being introduced very carefully in a way that would actually help with the the story that would assist with the development of the plot or help you know as motivation for a character the monsters were always an afterthought it wasn't hey wouldn't it be cool Mm -hmm. if we had a vampire or a werewolf no it was about helping and aiding the episode and you could say the same thing about many of the guest spots but even more so the monsters are more subtle I feel like when you use those regular guest spots like you know the familiar face that you then say oh look they're going through the same problems as Sam and Dean that's a little bit Mm -hmm. on the nose at times and it's a little obvious, but when you're dealing with something evil, like a monster or a creature, and they're using that as a way to, you know, state your commentary on the episode, it's more impactful and less insulting in a lot of ways because
1: it's more subtle. Absolutely. And and that's often missed. Like the subtle stuff is often more memorable when it comes to horror, especially. Yeah. So, Doc Benton is a great character a very very interesting one and one that I really do wish we had more of frankly or that there had been we kind of got spiritual successor with the Steins but even that we wanted more of
0: yeah I would say I would say Doc Benton and maybe when we're all done in about a year and a half with these discussions Mm -hmm. um, maybe we can go back and do a ranking system but I would say for sure Doc Bitten is, he's got to be on my, it's, oh, I can't say top five. There's just too many. Uh, But I can probably say comfortably, I could say 10. Definitely on my top 10 monsters of the
1: week. For sure. Yeah. It's a tough list to get on to. Let's be real. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's, he's definitely worthy of a spot and worthy of more content. It's a shame, but at least we got him in a comic book, if nothing else.
0: So. All right. Well, we can wrap now.
1: Yeah, but that's going to do it here for us here at Supernatural Crossroads. Hopefully you enjoyed this discussion of underrated monsters of the week. And like Mike said, we will be going over others. I can think of like five immediately that I would like to have seen more of and had far more interesting potential and real world lore inspirations that really are just one and done. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this series. Hopefully you all enjoyed it as well. Thank you. We'll see you all next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.